This is Kevin Conroy, the voice of Batman. You're listening to the Mostly Harmless Podcast. Or at least you better be. Welcome to the Mostly Homeless Podcast. I'm your host, Damon Damien. All right, buddies, boy, I've got the shakes. I'm so excited about uh, this week's episode. Oh my God, it is insanely awesome. Um, I'm sure you already know, but um, yeah, <laughs> I, it, it, not just one Ramon we have on today's episode. We got two Ramones on today's episode. Blah, my mind is just blown. I, I never, ever, 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 ever thought I would get a chance to talk to a Ramon, much less two. And, you know, um, of course, today we're sitting down and we're chatting with Mr. C.J. Ramon about his newest record, Last Chance to Dance. It's out now on Fat Records. And then I talked to motherfucking Hall of Famer, Rock and Roll Hall of Famer, Marky Ramon about his new autobiography, Punk Rock Blitzkrieg, My Life as a Ramon, out now on Touchstone Books. Like, I, I mean... I love the Ramones, one of my all-time favorite bands, and I basically everything we listen to is built upon this, and you know, when I started this dumb little thing a few years ago, I never would have thought that I would ever get a chance to talk to these guys. Um, I, I'm going off my script a little bit, but I, one of the things I try to tell people is anybody can do this. Um, all you got to do is put two feet in front of you, get up off the couch, and you too can be doing like cool, crazy, awesome stuff. It doesn't just have to be going to a job, doing a nine to five Monday through Friday, and drinking at the bars on the weekend and rinse and repeat. Um, you too. I mean, if you have a passion, please go for it. I, I'm living proof that you know, it, it, just trying sometimes you'll get to succeed in things. And here I am interviewing two of the Ramones, and I, I just can't believe it. Um, before I ramble on way too much and, uh, and get into the meat of today's episode, I've got to th- send a huge thank you to my sponsors, Death Wish Copy. Um, they get me all hyped up and hopped up on their highly caffeinated, dark roasted, delicious brewed coffee. I'm hyped up on it right now, and I, I just can't. I, I can't thank them enough for uh, supplying me and supporting the show. And uh, without them, I wouldn't be able to make it through all these long weekends and all these interviews and working a 40-hour-a-week job and then making this podcast happen and sound like a fool on this thing. So thank you, Death Wish Copy. Visit deathwishcopy.com. Order yours today. Um, I highly recommend it. They get two gigantic thumbs up. And then a very special, huge, very gigantic sponsor to our newest main sponsor, Ratio Beer Works. Now, uh, these are two, well, now three of uh, good friends of mine. They're coming, f- they're, let's let's put it this way, buddies. Punk Rockers Gone Adult. Uh, my buddies Zach Lowry, Jason Zumbruin, and Scott Camplin. Uh, they're all former punk rock dudes from punk rock scene, playing in bands, running labels, and they got together a couple years ago, decided to start a brewery. It finally opened this last weekend, and it was amazing. Not only did they do that, they also sponsored our very first episode of the new series of our mostly harmless punk rock live talk show events uh, that we're hosting at Mutiny Information Cafe here in Denver. Uh, they ha- brought out their hot water music-inspired Hold Steady uh 
dark ale and uh, it was a gigantic hit. The whole thing was a wonderful. We had a great turnout. Everybody had a blast. The beers were great. The bl- beers were flowing. And then that was Thursday. And then fast forward into Saturday, they have their grand opening. Five years in the making, friends. Um, they were expecting, I think, they were hoping for like three to 400 people show up. They had ordered 1,000 wristbands. Um, they're like, well, if we have these left over, we can always use them next year for our anniversary party. And uh, holy shit, guys, they ran out of wristbands. By 4 p.m. I was out there checking IDs, helping pe- get people in, and it was such a fun, amazing environment, such a fun experience. Uh, they just opened 2920 Larimer Street here in Denver in the Rhino District. Um, visit RatioBeerWorks.com for more info. They've got some fantastic ales. They've got, um, you know, Hold Steady, which is inspired by Hot Water Music, which we already talked about. They've got Dear You, which is inspired by Jawbreaker. Um, they've got a cursive-themed beer, but I'm not really a cursive fan, so I can't remember the name of it. Uh, they're going to have a Gambit-themed beer uh, called Repeater. And then uh, one, my favorite beer that they actually had there was Repeater, of course, named for Fugazi. So please check out Ratio Beer Works, uh, 2920 Larimer Street here in Denver, the Rhino Districts, and RatioBeerWorks.com. Uh, we're going to be doing a lot of very, very, very cool stuff in the future I can't wait to tell you about and show you guys. Um, so about this episode, it came about in kind of a strange way. A few months back, I sent an email out to Touchstone Books asking if there is a chance in hell to uh, interview Mr. Kerry Ells about his new book on starring in The Princess Bride. He was here in December. I sent out an email. I didn't expect much. Um, and I didn't, of course, I didn't get a reply. Well, a couple of weeks later, I get an email from uh, this woman who's setting up radio interviews for Marky Ramon and his new book on Touchstone Books. It turned out that woman had forwarded my email to the Ramones pub- or the publicist for the book. And they were like, hey, do you want to interview Marky? Absolutely, I want to interview Marky Ramon. He's goddamn Ramon. He's in the Hall of Fame. Holy fucking shit! Can't believe I, I still can't believe I got to do that, friends. Uh, they could only allot me twenty minutes for the interview, and not a whole lot of time. And you know, it makes for a little bite-sized episode. And I wanted I wanted to share with you guys a little bit more. And um, CJ Ramon, who is a kind of unfortunately the forgotten Ramon, um, he took over bass handling duties when DD left the band in the uh god i wish i had these notes in front of me i believe 89 i don't have the notes in front of me i'm sorry friends i apologize profusely um and then he uh played bass for the remainder of the ramones um until they called it a day and um i i kind of i'll be honest with you i didn't really know very much about cj going into it but uh i hit up vanessa fat records he just put out his newest record last chance to dance out there i was like vanessa hey i'm interviewing marky what do you think about doing a marky cj co-interview she set it up, and uh, I'll tell you, you know, I knew very little about C.J. Ramon. He's largely glossed over in Marky's new book that I just finished reading. And, uh, he, of course, later in C.J.'s interview, we'll kind of learn why he's not really talked about in uh, Marky's book that much. Um, and then he kind of disappeared after the Ramones called it a day, and I thought he was just a guy just jumping on this Ramones bandwagon. You know, in trying to make a buck in his later years off the name. Uh, but w- w- I think when you listen to this episode and you finally get to hear this guy's story, um, I, 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 
he's not just kind of a forgotten guy. It's unfortunate that he's a forgotten guy, but he's not the joke that I kind of in my head had thought he was. He's got just an absolutely incredible story, um, and I was just pleasantly surprised at how wonderful and how forthgiving he was talking to him today. Um, I mean, this is a guy that just stumbles into the Ramones and then just falls out and then has some great opportunities ahead of him, but he... uh, well, we'll talk about that in in the interview today. But I want I just wanted to I, I know I'm rambling, but I wanted to make sure that you guys know the CJ interview is fantastic. Please don't skip over it. Please don't just go straight to the Marky interview. Please listen to CJ's story. And I, I think at the end, you you might have your breath taken away as I did. You might also be wiping tears away from your eyes as I was. Um, please give this give this uh, CJ interview a chance. It is pretty incredible. And then you'll see that this isn't a guy just trying to jump on the punk rock bandwagon and make a buck off his former band. He's legitimately trying to carry the torch, carry on the name, and uh, trying to, like I am, trying to get up off the couch and have a little bit more with your life, so to speak. So, um, all right, buddies, let's get into these interviews. Um, I, I don't usually like doing the phone or Skype interview things for the podcast. I'd much rather do them in person. But again, these were too good to pass up. There are a couple lags and some interesting noises Skype made uh, during the process of recording this interview. During the marquee interview, my microphone was having some issues, so I'm like tapping on it, unplugging it, pulling it in. This is a professional setup over here, folks, in my bedroom. You know, I'm sitting in my underwear, <laughs> sipping a ratio beer works beer out of a growler. You know, that's it's mostly harmless damn damn you guys. It's a punk rock talk show. I don't know why I'm I know I'm rambling. Deathwishcoffee.com. Uh so uh let's let's go ahead and play a song from CJ's newest record, Last Chance to Dance. It's out now on Bat Records. And then please stay tuned. Let's listen to his life story. It is fan fucking tastic. Um, I promise you, you will be inspired. I, I hope you will be inspired to do something after listening to the story. Uh, again, this is CJ Ramon. The track is Understand Me. Let's give it a little listen, buddies.
Hey, is this uh, Chris? Yeah. Hey, Chris, this is uh, Damien from uh, Mostly Harmless Podcast. Uh, I believe you were expecting me for an interview. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, you got. You, do you have I'm time gone. for me? Do you have time for me uh, right now, or do you want to do it later? Yeah, absolutely good. Cool, cool, cool. Uh, how much time do you have? Um, I'm, I'm just getting prepped for leaving for Australia, so I got. Um, I'm around the house most of today. Okay, cool, 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 cool. I just want to make sure I'm not uh, I'm taking too much of your time here. So let me know if we're going too long. So, uh, uh, okay. is it is it uh, Chris or CJ? Which do you prefer these days? CJ. CJ. Okay, sorry, sorry to throw you off there. <laughs> um. Well, when you call me Chris, I thought it was some a friend or something like that. You know, like my all my guys in the neighborhood still call me Chris, but oh. most everybody else calls me CJ. All right, well, I'll call you CJ then. I I, I didn't know if it's you know because it's a a moniker, but yet you prefer your real name kind of thing. I don't know. <laughs> Tell you the truth, I don't really care one way or another, but I found that. Uh, just for continuity and 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 the sake of keeping everybody on the same page, I just like CJ. It's just a lot easier that way. Nice, that works. And then uh, there, there's a, a punk rock band called Masked Intruder, and they all wear different colored masks and sing songs about breaking in the girls' houses to tell them they love them. It's like a joke band. I know all the members. Yeah. I know all the members out of costume, but. Um, I to, when I do interviews with them, they have to wear their masks so they can play that character. So I kind of get the whole, you know, CJ is the musician, Chris is the dad right. kind of deal. So that that makes sense. Okay. Yeah. So uh, you're about to get ready to go to Australia. How exciting is that? Haven't been there in a long time. Um, it's always been one of my favorite places to go. Yeah. I said if they were going to chase me out of the states, I'd uh, I'd be the path down there. <laughs> so. Um, it's just a really cool place, and the, the the people are, I don't know, just really laid back and fun, and have a good time when I go there. So I'm looking forward to it. I haven't been there since uh, 98, 99 was the last time I uh, went with um, 22 Jacks mm. to do uh, to do the Vans Warped, and um, and that's the last time I was there. Nice, nice. Uh, so uh, I. Before we completely jump in, I mean, we've already jumped in, but uh, mostly harmless. It's like an internet radio show. Um, I just do long form interviews with musicians and whatnot. And um, yeah, thanks for taking the time. I know you're a busy guy trying to get out there on that tour, so thanks for taking the time to talk to okay. me. Okay. Um, so you're gonna re- you're gonna re- you're gonna record it? Yeah, I'm recording this all right now already. So. Okay, let me get somewhere quiet because my baby girl is here, and she will definitely be coming through loud and clear. So. Yeah. Hold on. Give me, yeah. give me a second. Hold on. Yeah. Baby girl, I got to go do an interview, okay? So I'll see you later on, all right? Be a good girl. <laughs> I'll see you later. All right, sorry about that. No, sorry. I uh, I don't. I should have mentioned that earlier. So, But, you know, it, it's fine if there's noise in the background. I think it adds, adds to the mystique of everything. <laughs> um. So, so a lot, a lot of my show, I talk to people about their origin stories. I know doing my research okay. on you and your projects, you've told your stories a hundred thousand times. Uh, do you ever get tired of telling yeah. the tale of your origin stories? Um, I, you know, not not really. It's because it's just my story is not 
uh, an average story or a typical story, and people really seem to get a get a kick out of it when I tell it. So I don't mind telling it over and over. It's a um, it also helps to uh, every time I tell it, I feel like I get you know a little a little piece of it comes back, and I, I remember something that I hadn't remembered the last time. So it's nice. it's pretty interesting. In fact, I'm I'm working on a book. I have been for quite a while, but um, I'm a totally miserable self-editor and <laughs> back-checker as I go along, so it's taking stupid amounts of time doing it, but uh, but that's just that's how I am totally yeah. when it and, comes to anything creative. And it's important to get it right, too, you know? Yeah. I get it. Yep. I get it. I, that's, I've, I've, I've read like a couple of the other books written about the Ramones and stuff, and every once in a while I'll, I'll read something and I'll go, I was there. That's, that's not what happened, or at least that's not how I remember it happening, you know? So I'm trying to make sure I got all my dates right and all my people right and places. And the good thing now is, is being the, I guess, the last one to write a book pretty much. Um, I have everybody else's books to, to, uh, tap for, uh, you know, for dates and places and, and all that type of stuff. So nice, nice. And, uh, speaking of books, I mean like your, your journey into the Ramones is really kind of incredible. Um, like it's, it's, it'd make a hell of a movie. Do you still own your own life rights? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, That's one thing I still own there. There ain't a whole lot. I still, uh, I still have rights to, but, um, I haven't sold my story yet. Yeah. It's, it's very much of, like I could see that becoming some kind of movie or something or inspiration for something later down the line. So, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Well, um, well like I said, you know, I'm, I'm I've been working on the book for a while and I'm hoping that, you know, I'm you know, re- realistically it's an interesting enough story cuz I'm doing from, you know, I'm doing my entire life up until the Ramones retired, so I'm doing my my childhood and everything. Um so uh I mean, even if you're not a Ramones fan, it's still a, a pretty interesting tale. So, you know, who knows? Maybe someday. Nice. And uh, speaking of those stories, I mean, you were a Marine who kind of stepped into, you know, uh, you got out of the Marines or were about to get out of the Marines and right place, right time, right everything and join the Ramones. Um, how did you end up joining the Marines? That That's a pretty great story is, is how you ended up in the uh, Marines to begin with. I, uh... I grew up in uh, mostly on Long Island. I, you know, I lived in Queens when I was real little, and up in East Boston for a, a little while. But the the better part of my childhood and, and my years in my, my teens was uh, on Long Island. Long Island was a, uh, you know, really was any good job belonged to aerospace. We had everybody here: Republic Fairchild, Grumman, AIL, Raytheon. We had all the big government contractors um, running uh, running huge factories out here. And that's where everybody worked, pretty much. Um, so uh, right out of high school, pretty much, my dad um, my dad had got me a job over there at, uh, at Fairchild. We were building the A-10 at the time. And, um, uh, you know, that was... Uh, that was a, that was a really neat thing because I was playing in bands on weekends, you know, making, you know, anywhere from 150 to 300, 400 dollars in a weekend, depending on how many gigs we did. Plus, working what I was making at Republic Fairchild, I was making as much money as some of my friends' dads, and um, 
I was doing, you know, I was doing pretty good, but um, the economy on Long Island really took a hit when uh, when um, all the aerospace industries uh, uh, companies pulled out. They all went to uh, right to work states. Um, of course, you know, up here they were all union, uh, um, all union shops. But they, uh, I know Fairchild went down south to a right to work state and. Um, Grumman followed them, and, and pretty much after a while, everything shut down, and the economy on Long Island just completely tanked. And, uh, you know, I was 21 years old working as a landscaper. I, you know, I never, uh, I never, you know, I, I wasn't, I was never really good in school. I had no, uh, you know, I had no um, intention on ever going to college. And, uh, and I just, um, I didn't really see much for the future, but the one thing I always had on my side was, you know, I was always just totally willing to take a chance and get up and go. And, and, uh, I knew I was not going to live and die in my hometown. I just, there was no way that was going to happen. And I, you know, I just woke up one morning and I said, I got to get out of here. Yeah. And, uh, I tried to talk a friend of mine into going down with me and, and he said, yeah, he'd go. And I went by his house, and his mother answered the door and was like, he is not going. <laughs> He's not going. So I uh, I just went down to the recruiter on my own, and I walked in, and I said, you know, I want to uh, I want to enlist. And they sat me down, and I took the uh, ASVAB test. And it was, um, you know, it's pretty easy. Yeah. Passed the test, went to the physical Went through all that and then sat down once I was uh, qualified and they said, okay, so what do you want to do? What's What job do you want to do? And I, I told him infantry. And the guy was like, well, you scored really good on the ASVAB. And, you know, there's, there's so many good jobs and trades you can learn when you're in. I said, He said, you know, even, you know, you can go in as a tanker or something like that. And, and I said, you know, I know you pick up rank pretty easily in the infantry and I grew up around guns, so I said, I, you know, I want to go in infantry, and, and that's how it went. Yeah. I went in guaranteed Bravo Hotel, and my recruiter was totally aggravated because the, the couple other guys who had enlisted around the same time as I did, he had talked them all into going in open contract, which, you know, which they love because, you know, then they, they could put you wherever they want to, but I went in with... Uh, I left with two other guys, three other guys actually, and uh, two of the guys that went in guaranteed infantry were, I mean, um, open contract were two big giant gym rats. I mean, just monsters. And uh, one guy went to JAG, he, you know, he went to went to be was going there to be a, a lawyer, and the other guy became a cook. And I saw them after boot camp, and they were both miserable, <laughs> miserable <laughs> with that choice to go in uh, open contract but that was um that was how I how I ended up there and, and my dad's family was all military my dad and and all of his brothers except for my uncle John who uh who was a Pinkerton god but they all served uh, at some point so yeah. it was it was a really easy obvious choice nice nice and then you uh you you got out of the marines and were or were about to you know you're getting out you're in New York. You audition for the Ramones. You get it. You know, right place, right time, right person. You know, um, do you believe in destiny, yep. or is that just dumb luck that you just kind of fell into this thing? 
Yeah. <laughs> I go back and forth on that one. It's, you know, sometimes things happen and it's just, it's, it just feels like, wow, you know, it was, it was meant to happen, you know, but sometimes I'm, some, sometimes I think it's just dumb luck, but I, I really sincerely believe that, you know, like when I was a kid, I used to, I, I would, when I wasn't playing and stuff, I would sit around and I would, I had pictured in my mind the, what, what it would be like on my first tour to be sitting on a plane and, and the plane take off and the feeling that I would have and what I would, you know, what I'd see and what I would feel. And like, I had pictured that so many times in my head that the first time I, I, I left JFK airport, um, to go on tour to Europe five weeks, five weeks out, out of the, out of the Marine Corps. Um, I looked out of the window and that feeling of deja vu came over me really heavy. And, and I was like, I, I've, I've seen this a million times in my head. I've, I've pictured this a million times in my head and, you know, <laughs> there it was happening. So I'm not a, um, I'm not a huge believer in, 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 in a, in a lot of stuff like that, but, um, there's some, there's some things to me. <laughs> it just, undeniably strange yeah. and that was uh you know that was one of them and and, and even like like you're just saying the, the whole audition thing and everything a total fluke if 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 that phone call had came to my house a day later i would have been gone i would have i would have been going back to base because i had already been home for a while at that point i was a deserter i wasn't even ua or anything at that point i was a deserter and i, I had to get back and um, and I happened to meet this pretty girl at a club, and she was like, you know, I want you to take me out, and blah blah blah. And it made me hang around a little bit longer. And then one day I was like, I have to go back. I gotta get out of here, and I, I got I gotta go go back and and get my ass unfucked here. This is crazy. And um, and it was uh, uh and literally I was a day a day away from leaving when uh, when my buddy called me up just completely out of blue, a guy I hadn't talked to in years or seen in years. And he was playing in a band with Joey's brother and he called me up and he said, Hey, the Ramones are auditioning bass players tonight. I was like, Oh yeah, that's, I go, wow, that's cool. I was, I said, that's cool. I said, but you know, it's not Didi without, without, it's not the Ramones without Didi. And he was like, no, no, I know. He said, you should go down. You should go down. And at first I was like, why would I go down? And I was like, you know what? I'm just going to go down and meet the band. I just want to go down and meet them, you know? And, uh, and that's what I did. I just, and that's why I did so well, I think, because I had no expectations of getting in. I just strictly went in to, to meet them. Nice. And, um, but like I said, a day later and I would have been gone a day later and, and he would have called my house. And my mom would have been like, Oh no, Chris went back. So it's, you know, you can, you call it whatever you want, fate or, or yeah. dumb luck or chance or whatever. But, there's just some things the way they happen. It just feels like there's something, <laughs> something at work, something else going on that that makes them turn out that way. Nice. Um, yeah, it's an incredible story. And again, like I think that you know, like that rock star movie with Wal- Marky Wahlberg that I don't ever actually think I saw, but yeah, your story kind of has those kind of beats and whatnot to 
become something like that. So I don't know. I just it's such a great yeah. story that I, I'm glad you Thanks. you're not tired of telling it over and over again because it is it's great. Yeah, no, I I enjoy it. I enjoy like I said, it's every time I think about it, I remember a little something new or a different detail or something, and it just helps to uh, you know it, it just puts a smile on my face all over again. Yeah. Um, and, and then, so you're jumping into this whale oiled, well, maybe not whale oiled machine because, you know, whatever, because <laughs> uh, it's the Ramones, <laughs> but, um, you know, you're leaving this very, very structured world of the military and you're joining kind of the rock and roll, roll lifestyle. Was it easy for you to adapt or was that why you adapted so well? Yeah, it's, um... You know, realistically, had I not gone through boot camp and infantry training school and spent a little bit of time with the with the Marine Corps that I did, I never would have lasted in the Ramones. I I grew up very unstructured as a kid, very very unstructured. I had no no discipline whatsoever and no idea of of you know following rules strictly or or anything like that like no concept of that at all to me everything was arguable and questionable and and um just didn't understand the way things were and if i didn't understand it that means it didn't matter so and that's kind of how i lived and just very just very kind of <laughs> just kind of free-flowing but um you know of course being in the marine corps that that kind of snapped me out of that and made me wake up and understand, you know, why things work the way they do and, and how they work. And so when I got to the Ramones, you know, I, when I, when I first got into, found out I got the audition, I, I thought I was joining a gang. Like that's always how I saw the Ramones. I saw like, they were like the street tough guys that hung around in my neighborhood when I was younger. You know what I mean? That was just, that just kind of hung around and, you know, kick on everybody and, and mess with you and taking lunch money or whatnot. And, and that's kind of who I, I saw the Ramones as. So when I got there and, and it, and it came on real quick, I realized it really, really soon after getting in the band that this was, I was involved in a, you know, this was a corporate structure. This was not, this was not anything close to a, a street gang or, or anything like that. This was a, a business, a really tightly run business, um, with, with no wiggle room at all for anything. And, um, when, uh, when I, you know, when I first started kind of, you know, catching on to what was happening, um, it was easy to tell what was what and who was who from the get go. I mean, it wasn't, um, it, it wasn't hard to tell. Johnny was obviously the boss. He was obvious, obviously made the day-to-day calls on everything that happened. Um, and at one of the, um, auditions that I went to, cause there were several, uh, you know, Johnny had <clears throat> asked me if I had any drinking or drug problems and, you know, and, uh, and, you know, I could tell he was really going to be that guy. He was going to be like the guy that, you know, would be in charge of discipline and all that stuff. And, um, and, you know, I told him, I told him, I said, Hey, I'm sure you got rules. I said, you tell me what they are and I'll, I'll have no problem following them. I said, but I don't want to get in trouble for things that, you know, nobody said anything to me about. 
and that was my way of you know just letting them know I, I could follow the rules, but I'm not a you know I'm not going to be a uh, a sucker. Yeah. And um. And uh, and Johnny was like, okay, that's fine. And he you know once I was in the band and everything, they laid the rules out to me really plainly, really clearly, and. And I had no problem following him. I mean, there was a couple of small things. Uh, you know, there was no drinking uh, before the show. And uh, my first time in Australia, or maybe second time, I think it was second time in Australia, I um, I was just suffering real bad with, um, you know, the, the time change and the sleep schedule and all that. And, and uh, I went to the bar, went down to the bar at one point and, and uh, was eating and uh, had a gin and tonic, and Monty came down, and he was like, uh, "What are you? Why are you drinking?" Uh, and I told him, I said, "I'm so miserable right now, Monty. I'm having trouble keeping myself focused." I said, "I'm just gonna have a drink and go upstairs and catch a little nap, and and I'll be good for the show." And um, he went back and told Johnny right away, and Johnny came down, and he was like, "What the fuck's wrong with you? You know you're not supposed to be drinking." And I said, "John, listen." I'm not drinking to get drunk. I'm drinking to take the edge off so I can go upstairs and catch a nap. I'm just, you know, this, the, the being on a different sleep schedule is really killing me. And he was like, I don't care. There's no drinking before a show. It's like, there were no excuses. <clears throat> so there were little, you know, a couple times there when me and John butted heads over, over breaking rules or whatnot. And, but for the most part, I, I walked the line the whole time. I, you know, yeah. the way I looked at it was I got hired to do a job. And I was going to, you know, do it the absolute best that I could, and 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 uh, and 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 stay focused and make sure. You know, I, the last thing I wanted to do was be the guy that broke up the Ramones or the guy that made the Ramones look bad, or, or you know what I mean. I just didn't want to be that guy. And after hearing all the stories about Dee Dee, and you know, and you know all the trouble that the, the, he gave the band and everything. I, I almost I almost felt bad for them because you know they had gone through a whole bunch of years there with not touring a whole lot and not really doing much of anything that was that they you know that they wanted to celebrate. So that made me uh, even more focused and made me you know try even harder to to make sure that I did did a good job. Nice. Wow. Yeah. Um. I'm gonna I'm gonna be interviewing Marky here in a couple of days about his new book. Um, I don't know if you have you read oh, that cool. one yet. Yeah, um, it, I, so, yeah. I just I ordered it on um, was it Amazon? I think I ordered it on Amazon, and um, it just came in. I haven't read it, but I'm going to read it on this trip to Australia. Oh, nice, nice, nice. Um, I, I was just curious what your relationship with Marky was like. I don't um, I don't really talk to Mark. Um, I, or Richie, or the only person I really have contact with occasionally is Monty, but um, I haven't really had any contact with Mark in in a really long time. I was married to Mark's niece, oh, okay. and we got divorced. Yeah, we got divorced, and I got custody of the kids, and it really turned into like an ugly thing. And um, and that's what everybody had always assumed what the problem was, but it, the problem actually started like before then, and. Uh, and I was never really, you know, I never really understood what it was all about. But, you know, I'm not, um, I don't, uh, I'm not a shit talker. I, I don't, uh, I don't, you know, I just, I don't take part in any of that stuff. It's, it's not, it's just, it's not, 
it's just not how I am. You know what I mean? I don't. Yeah. I, I just don't do it. So the, uh, um, so I've I've always just whenever I was asked about it, I always said, hey, I had a great time with Mark in the band. He's the one guy that made touring enjoyable. There were some days when it was so miserable. The only thing that made it bearable was that Mark always had something funny to say. When in the worst part, when everyone was really feeling the worst, he would always come out with something that really made everybody laugh. And realistically, you know, me and Mark, both not being original members, we were kind of, uh, you know, kind of in the same boat. Um, and, you know, being a bass player, I always, you know, I, I play with the drummer. That's who I, uh, you know, that's who I play to on stage. And, and that's, um, you know, and that's, that, that's my, uh, that's my whole thing. You know, my, my memory with Mark, I mean, he had a great time. We really did. It was, it was, uh, it was a lot of fun playing with him in the band, but, um, the book that he's got out, like I said, I just got it. I am going to, I am going to read it. And like I said, it's, it's yeah. being, you know, being the last one to write a book, it's kind of neat because I get to, you know, check out what everybody else has written and, and, and hopefully, uh, be able to get some times and dates and places and stuff for, for my own book. Nice. Cool. Well, let's uh, let's let's shift gears a little bit. Uh, we talked. That's that's those are some great stories. Thanks for sharing those with me about the old days. Let's talk about the new days. You know, um, cool. you took some time off from playing music for a while. Uh, your son Liam, I believe, uh, had autism. Yep. Um, so yeah. a, a lot of my listeners are going to be older people who are having kids or just had kids. Um, what okay. was it, what was it like for you? You know, having. I know it was probably a really rough time, and I know this is kind of a... What, what was it? Discovering your son had autism, stopping life on the road, How was that a hard choice for you, or was it very easy to be like, okay, this is my life now? Yeah, nah, nah. I wasn't, it, wasn't, it wasn't difficult at all. But, you, you know, you, there's some things that you have to... you got to consider, too. And, uh, and for me, I have wanted to have... You know, I had I, I wanted to have kids and a family from when I was pretty young, but I always knew that I had to wait until I was in a, a good financial position to do that. And um, I uh, and and now I didn't wait until I was actually home to do that too, or in a position to take them out with me. So by the time that I by the time that my son was born, I was the Ramones were retired. I had. I didn't make a lot of money with the Ramones, but I was really smart with my money. I I lived off of um, my per diems and um, and the, uh, every once in a while um, when we would do a tour, I would bonus or something like that. Um, and that's the money that I lived off of, and I saved my money. and And Johnny taught me about um, investing and whatnot, and so I was. I was invested. I had, you know, a good amount of money saved by the time the Ramones retired. And, you know, I was ready to, to kind of, to get a family start. So when my son came, um, I, uh, I continued to tour with my own band. Cause like I said, the Ramones retired and, uh, took my wife and, and my boy out on the road with me. And, um, up until, uh, he was diagnosed with autism. So once he was diagnosed with autism, it you know became a much different situation. Um, it isn't like it is now. There wasn't a whole lot of information and support and whatnot. It was uh, it was it was much different. 
It was a lot different. And, um, you know, I was thankful when I, when I, when he was diagnosed because I was really concerned because of behaviors that he was, that he was, you know, exhibiting and, and, uh, it was troubling. I, I, I think I, if I, I was in more shape before I knew that he had autism. <laughs> Once we had a name for it, my whole thing, you know, the way I posted, I just said to the doctors, you tell me what I have to do to give him the best shot at being absolutely the best that he's going to be. And that's what I'll do. So that's, and that's how I approached it. I didn't, you know, I know they say, you know, you go through a grieving process because it's not the child that you had imagined to have and the relationship isn't going to be the same. I went through none of that. And I could say that honestly, uh, honestly, I did not go through that. I never, you know, it didn't change the way I looked at my son. It didn't change the way I felt about him. The only thing that had changed was how I had to treat him. And there was a whole bunch of stuff that came to me really naturally that I didn't know there were scientific names for and stuff. And then things like um, I, I, he couldn't sit in a restaurant and eat. And um, so what I did was I went to a guy who owned the local pizzeria and I said, hey, you know, my, my boy's got autism and I'm trying to get him used to eating in a restaurant. Do you mind if I bring him in? I'll try to bring him in on, on off hours. And, um, you know, I told him he might scream and yell and whatnot. And and uh, I said, so I'll try to bring him in in off hours. And it was an older, older guy. And he was like, my grandson, he has the same thing, you know. He's like, I don't even know what it is, but I feel so bad. He said, bring him in. So, and that's what I did. I brought him in um, every Wednesday night. We would go to the pizzeria and we would sit down. And my first goal was to get him to be able to go go in and sit down for 15 minutes. And then each week I tried to bump up the time a little bit more. And um, and and that's what I did. I did with him. I just I worked him through things like that. Now I understand that's called desensitization. Back then I didn't know what that was called. Back then, I thought that was called doing whatever made sense to do. <laughs> but um, I also kept um, a notebook with each and every teacher that he had and insisted that they, they write in it every day uh, what his behaviors were like and, and, and uh, you know, if they were recognizing any triggers for bad behaviors or anything, blah, blah. So, and I did that for, for his entire um it, all, all the way up through grade school. But because of those notebooks, when I went back and looked at them, I started to recognize patterns in his behavior and could predict when he was going to have um, um, difficult periods. Because what I recognized in the books was that he would be able to take in all of this knowledge and learn all this stuff. And then it was his brain would get to the point where it couldn't take anything more and he, his behavior would start getting bad and his behavior would be bad for a week, and then all of a sudden, he would be good again, and he would have this new little skill set, and his, all his old skills would be even sharper. And I would be able to tell the teachers that, and and they could prepare themselves to when he would start going into the, you know, his his when he started get, becoming more difficult, they understood the process, and they were more willing to go through it with him, rather than try to force him to do things that he was just not capable of at that time because his brain was trying to, you know, find a place for all the new knowledge that it had. So just little things like that made such a difference in not only how, um, how quickly he learned and, and, 
and um, just, you know, us, me being, feel like he was making progress, but it changed, you know, it totally changed his teacher's attitude towards him because they were fully aware that I was paying full attention and the fact that I knew so much about my son, it really made them take more interest in him. And I mean, now if you saw him, you wouldn't even know he was autistic. He's a number three runner on the track team at the school. He's uh, on the uh, high honor roll every marking period. He's already got his college picked out. He goes to cooking school, um, culinary arts program uh, for half the day. He's, um, you know, he's, writes incredible stories he wants to write screenplays uh when he grows up and he needs i mean he's a very focused intelligent kid and uh, you know i'm not saying that he's like that because i stopped touring or i stopped you know i stopped doing what, everything that i was doing but i just think if i if i did not do that i don't know if if he would have turned out as good as he has so you know yeah. my 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 advice to everybody, you know, I just had somebody recently who contacted me and, and said, you know, his brother's kids, um, two of them were, were both recently diagnosed and he's having a hard time dealing with it. And I, and I said, you know, come on, not to be afraid of it's, it's there. There's so much. It, I know. I, and I understand that it's the unknown and it's not the kid that you were hoping for him or blah, but the fact of the matter is, is that, you know, it's still, you have to, you know, like any other parent, you want to give your kid the best shot that they can possibly have. And the only, there's no way around it. It's hard work. That's yeah. what it comes down to. It's just hard work and you have to be willing to, you know, to do the work if you want your kid to have that shot. But I mean, on a, on a whole different note, like, and I'm not patting myself on the back or telling you this <laughs> because it's, you know, I'm looking for praise or anything. Uh, just after my son was diagnosed, I got a phone call from Johnny Ramone, who was uh, who had become really good friends with Kirk Hammett from Metallica, and um, Jason Newstead had just left the band, and we had toured with uh, Metallica in '96 on our retirement tour at Lollapalooza, and they called me up and offered me the position to play bass for the for Metallica, and I had to turn them down. And Johnny Ramone flipped out. He totally <laughs> flipped out. He was like, you're out of your mind. He was like, you could afford the best doctors and, and everything else. And I had already talked to my son's doctor. And, and you know, the doctor told me, hey, it's not lost on me who Metallica is, but you'd be doing your son a great disservice. He needs to wake up in the same bed and go to the same school and eat breakfast at the same time and see you and see your wife and see his sister every day it has to be a very regimented life for your son if you want him to have a good shot. And um, so I turned him down. And then a couple weeks later, they called back and Johnny said, hey, it's not an audition. The gig is yours. You just have to go out there. They want to make sure you can handle it technically. And I, t I told him, I said, John, I, you know, tell them I am completely honored and I would absolutely love. I mean, who, who has that kind of career? play with the Ramones and then play yeah. with Metallica, the biggest underground band of all time and the biggest metal band of all time. You know what I mean? Nobody has a career like that. Nobody has a story like that. And uh, believe, I would have loved to have done it. I was a Metallica fan. But, um, but you know, my my commitment was to my kids and my family, and that was, uh, you know, that that was not um, not negotiable for anything, you know. 
money or fame or all that stuff is pointless and meaningless you know if if you if you're walking away from uh, your wife or your kids yeah that's holy shit that's incredible i like i knew parts of that story but uh thank you for sharing like i i, I do know i do have friends who are dealing with autistic kids or in or coming into um, I can't even find the words now after, um, but you know, that I listening to that, like if, if I was to have a kid and find something out, like you, you just made it a whole lot less scary for a lot of people out there. So thank you for sharing that. Absolutely. Whoa. Ugh. Um, so now, now let's sell some stuff. If you like, let's talk about this new record you just put out, you know, now <laughs> that we've gotten deep and heavy, I, I don't even feel right switching gears to talk about the new record, but you know, <laughs> that's what we're here to do today. No, that's part of life. It's you know, part of life. It ain't all good and it ain't all bad. So you right. gotta, you gotta yeah. be able to do it all. I love how matter-of-factly you are about everything. It's just like, yeah, this is just the way it is, you know. And that's that's, yep. that's fucking awesome. Um, <laughs> so you just put out the new record, Last Chance to Dance. It's out now on Fat Records. Um, you're gonna, I think, Reconquista. Reconquista. Yeah, Reconquista. I, I have a hard time with Spanish words because you know whatever um that's going to be getting a re-release soon too right correct okay so that's going to be at reconquista is going to be out on uh most right records later on this year nice so when cj ramon calls and goes how hard is it for cj ramon to start a new band do you just call buddies and be like hey we're starting a new band let's do it or is, is there like yeah. a little search i have been struggling for the longest time to to put a band together believe it or not i uh Back in 2007, I started a band called Bad Chopper with um, with a friend of mine uh, who who has since passed. But we um, we got together and uh, and and started that band, and 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 that band came apart. Didn't take very long for that band to come apart, and it was mostly because my my buddy who was, who I started with had suffered from like real serious mental health issues and that's not conducive to being able to get other band members in there. So that one fell apart quick. And then, um, I, uh, I went out, uh, I started going out, um, you know, back in 2009, I started going and touring again, uh, with Daniel Ray, me and Daniel, um, did some stuff together. And then I eventually got Brent Bjork from Caius to come in and play drums. Um, Daniel Ray, of course, you know, um, produced a couple of Ramones records. He's produced a whole bunch of records. Played Masters of Realities, legendary guy in New York. But um, uh, and then um, we toured together up to like 2010. And then you know, Daniel was really never supposed to be a, a permanent member. He was really just helping me get kind of back up on my feet. And uh, he left. And, um, and Brandt, of course, uh, Caius reformed and, and, um, so he went back to that. Um, and then I, I hooked up with a couple of players here and there. And, um, when I decided I was going to record, uh, Ray Conquista, uh, it was with Daniel. Daniel was playing guitar and I had a drummer and Daniel and I had recorded that album twice. Once because the drum tracks were not great the second time around um i just didn't like the sound of it yeah so i was going for my third time recording the record and i was looking for somebody to do it with and uh and i got in touch with uh steve soto 
Steve and I had worked from the adolescence. Steve and I had worked together um, back in 98, 99. Uh, I played bass for uh, for um, 22 Jacks, his band, his band at the time, um, on the uh, Warp Tour in uh, Australia and New Zealand. Uh, I reached out to him because Steve and I just always had really good connection. I always really liked him a lot. Had a lot of respect for him. The guy's done a lot for the Southern California punk scene. Really influential guy on that scene. I got in touch with him. I said, Steve, here's the deal. I have a really great record here. I've got a great batch of songs. I'm dying to get them done. I've recorded it twice. This is <laughs> this has got to be my last shot here. So he said, don't worry about it. Let me put a band together. I'll get the studio booked. You come out here to, to, to Southern California, and we'll get this record done. Two weeks later, he called me up. He had everything all lined up. I uh, I flew out there. We got into the studio, and and uh, uh, we had called up Jose Medellas, who had played for um, who had played for Twenty Two Jacks, but had since moved on to playing with the Breeders and a and a whole slew of other uh, big bands. He's an incredible drummer, um, and uh, so we jumped into the studio. And we rehearsed. I think we did two days of rehearsing, um, and we we got the songs down nice and tight. We laid down the basic tracks, and then Steve started bringing this parade of unbelievably great musicians through. All these different guys that played on the record. We had Jay Bentley from Bad Religion come in and do a, a bass uh, play on a, a play bass on one song. Johnny Two Bags from Social Distortion came in. Billy Zoom from X came in. Dennis Casey from Flog and Molly came in. Johnny Maurer, uh, who used to play with uh, Social Distortion, came in. Um, who else did we have? We had uh, uh, Matt Katz, who was playing um, keyboards for Blondie. Um, yeah, we uh, Frank Agnew came in. Um, uh, he played with uh, 45 Grave and played with uh, the Adolescents back in the day. Uh, Dan Root from the Adolescents, who is now my... Uh, my uh, my lead guitar player in the band, um, so he brought in this like all these you know big guys from the Southern California punk scene to to play on the record and uh, and uh, we actually filmed a documentary on on it. It's uh, it's called Ken Cobra: The Making of Ray Conquista, and uh, it it really just came out to be an unbelievably great record and. You know, when it was done, I said to Steve, you know, would you guys be interested in coming out and, and, and playing with me? And Steve was like, I absolutely would. So Steve and Dan, when they are not out with the adolescents, the adolescents tour uh, just for the summer months. Um, so when they are not on tour, Steve and Dan, oh, my guys, that's that's my band. We've, we've had a, a couple of guys come in and play drums. We had um, uh, Dave Hidalgo Jr. from uh, Social Distortion play drums. Right now we have Pete Sosa from um, the Street Dogs playing with us. The Street Dogs are off right now, so he's going to come out with us. Uh, who else have we had on drums back there? We had um, um, Michael Wildwood from Degeneration on drums for a little while, but uh, <laughs> I still I still got that revolving drummer thing. I don't know yeah. I don't know what it is exactly, but uh, I keep. Uh, I keep going through drummers, but yeah, it's, it's difficult. It's difficult, but I, 
I just love doing it. You know, on the new record, Last Chance to Dance, it, it was a, a repeat of the same thing. Me and Steve went back into uh, back into the same studio, worked um, with Jim Monroe, who's the uh, owner over there at its uh, studio in Santa Ana called The Racket Room. But he uh, engineered and co-produced it with me and Steve. And we, we, we tracked, well, we tracked um, Last Chance to Dance there. And uh, this time it was just a band. We did have um, uh, Tony Cadena from the Adolescents come in and sing on an Alice Cooper cover that we did uh, called Long Way to Go, which was uh, which was fun. Uh, Tony's a really great singer and he's a cool guy too, so that was, uh, that was enjoyable. But, you know, I'm, I, I realistically, I rely on Steve Soto to keep me in, in uh, drummers and, and <laughs> special guests and guitar players. He's he's really the man. He's he's really got. He, he knows everybody. Everybody loves him. He's a great guy. So yeah, he's my connection to the whole uh, the whole music uh, musician scene. Yeah. So so. But with this CJ Ramon project, the new band. You're front and center. You're the captain of the ship. What's it like to take charge after so many years of just being uh, on the side? I am. I'm really the reluctant front man. I'm. I'm so not comfortable being in front of the mic for you know full time and and talking to the crowd and everything. Totally not my thing. But after doing it for a couple of years now, I feel a lot more at home and it's it's a lot more fun. But. I really do prefer being in a band. I really do prefer yeah. it. I don't like, you know, I don't necessarily care for, you know, to be out there as CJ Ramon, but I do it for a couple of different reasons. One, trying to keep the Ramon name alive. I'm really trying to keep the legacy alive. And that's, you know, that's part of the reason why I suffered so hard over over um, the first record. You know, anytime you attach the Ramon name to anything, you know, it, it's got to be better than good. You know, it, it can't be mediocre. It's got to be better than good. And and I really, you know, I I struggled with that. I, I on the for, on the first record, I was really afraid. It was the first time I was ever using the name C.J. Ramon since the Ramones retired. First time I was putting my you know putting the Ramon stamp on it. But um, I uh. You know, so I I'm, I'm, I I use the name and I I keep it up front because I'm trying to keep the Ramon thing alive and 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 new and vital still. Um, the other thing was is when I when I was doing bands, other bands using other names, I would constantly get messages after I was on tour. I didn't even know that was your band coming through. You know, nobody. You know, I didn't know it. It wasn't in the advertisement and blah blah. So it's a little bit to let the Ramones fans know, like it's it's a hell of a lot easier to put CJ Ramone on a poster and have people recognize it than it than it is to put you know a band name you know featuring CJ Ramone. It just it don't translate as well. Um, and the other thing is is you know after the Ramones retired, it was um, and Johnny and Joey and and Dee Dee were passed and everything. It was. It was like a, a just too much stuff came out about the personal stuff, you know, like what a bad 
a guy Johnny was, or, you know, who fucked whose girlfriend, or who was a drug addict, who was an alcoholic, who had OCD, who, yeah, all of this really negative inside stuff came out. And it seemed like, it, you know, it was kind of turning the Ramones legacy and history into like a circus, into like, you know, like it was all a big joke. And it bothered me a lot. It really bothered me. And and every time I would read something else, some other comment, you know, it's like, these guys aren't here to defend themselves anymore. Yeah. You know what I mean? They're not here to, to be able to speak up and say, hey, listen, you know, I may have said that at that time, but here's the reason I said it. Or, you know, you know, yeah, all right, I suffered with mental, you know, mental problems, but, you know, I hung in there my entire life and, and lived in a really uncomfortable environment because I loved doing it and I knew that the band was worth worth it. You know, they're not around to defend themselves. So it really bothered me that everyone was taking pot shots at them. So I, I was complaining about it, and going, you know, and and that's when my wife and, and a good friend of mine who's, who's my tour manager now said to me, you know, why don't you stop complaining and do something about it? <laughs> and that's uh, and that's what I did. And that's you know that's part of the thing is I do remote songs in my set. I always will. And I you know I've, I've heard all the jokes about being a Ramones cover band and blah blah this and that. But to me, I don't care. They are you know it's some of the greatest rock and roll ever recorded. Nobody else was up on stage singing. It. Three guys ever sang on stage with the Ramones. Four guys really: Joey, Dee Dee. Richie and me. I'm the only one who ever sang up front. I sang five or six songs every set, every night, and all the backups. I can get up on stage and do it, and it's legit, in my opinion. I know, I know there's other people out there who don't agree with it, but that's my own opinion. Yeah. So I'm really doing my best to remind everybody, this is what made the Ramones great. This is why we love them. Because of their music. All the personal stuff, it don't mean nothing. It doesn't mean anything. It doesn't mean a thing. Michael Jackson was a child molester and people are willing to overlook that. Johnny can be a prick and still be great. You know what I mean? That's my whole thing. That's that's my attitude towards it. You know what I mean? It's I want to remind people of that. That's what made the Ramones great. That's what you should be focused on. That's what you should be thinking of. Yeah, so, those well, are the reasons I I I, I used the CJ Ramone name. Yeah, and uh, you know I think you do. It's it's pretty great. I didn't really know what to expect when I was jumping into the the new record, but you make it sound like you and Steve Soto. You guys make it sound really easy, and uh, uh, it, it sounds great. It feels great. It's just easy. I don't know. Is it as easy as it sounds for you guys to make these songs and records? I mean, I know you recorded the other one three times, but, uh, <laughs> you know. The recording process is, is never easy. The recording process is never easy. There's, there's a lot of suffering that goes on in, in studios and, and, you, and, and to make everything come out sound so sweet and so nice. But I'll tell you this, writing the songs and, and, and me and Steve sitting down and, and working out the harmonies and putting it all together and all that stuff, it's, I love it. It's my favorite thing in the world to do. I absolutely love it. I'm, and, you know, I've, I've had, um, 
you know, of course I've had the, 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 the comments come through like, you know, you know, oh, it sounds, it sounds so much like the Ramones. I try to explain to everybody, you know, of course it sounds like the Ramones. I was a huge fan as a kid in my most formative years. When I first got into playing music, I was a huge Ramones fan. I then played in the band for seven years. How can I not be influenced by them? You know what I mean? For me to not put out the songs that I write and try to, you know, write something different would be, I, it would be, I just wouldn't be honest. It wouldn't be honest of me. I'm putting out the songs that I write. I'm not sitting down saying, well, I'm going to write a Ramones riff. I'm going to write something that sounds like the Ramones. I'm going to, you know, I want to write a Carbone and Not Glue kind of riff. I don't do that. I sit down and I write songs. And what comes out is what I put on the records. Yeah. And if they're good, they go on. And, you know, there are some huge stylistic swings on the record, too. You have a song like Clusterfuck, which is almost like a hardcore song, an 80s hardcore song. And then you have Till the End, which is, you know, like a 50s-style ballad. So, you know, it, it's, it, it, it's... I don't sit down to try to write a remote-sounding record. I sit down and I write the songs that I write. And is it easy? Absolutely. I love doing it. <laughs> I get a song idea. I sit down. I put it down. I I, I use um, GarageBand to demo it. I send it out to Steve. Steve writes his little part. I send it out to Dan. Dan writes his little part. I I use um I mostly use the um the Motown beats off of um off of uh, GarageBand. They're, they're, they're my favorite beats on there. So <laughs> the drummer has a little bit of an idea of how I want it to sound, and that's how it comes together. Nice. And then um, you're you're about to go to Australia for the first time since Warp Tour with two, 22 Jacks. Uh, what, what, what's next for the CJ Ramon band? Uh, touring. <laughs> touring yeah. as much as we possibly can. Like I said, um, Steve, uh, take, Steve and Dan take off with the adolescents. Uh, from June through July. Um, so we'll do Australia, and I think we have a couple of other things coming up. We're in May, we may be doing the States. We may do a full uh, full U.S. tour down the West Coast, to the South, and then up the East Coast. Um, and uh, we're going to Panama at some point, and I think September we're going to South America. And then we're hoping to maybe uh, be going to, um, we're hoping we get an invite to do Fuji Rock this year. We, we nice. did it last summer, so. Nice. Well, I, I live in Denver, and I would love to, to see you guys out here sometime, but I know Denver's kind of a pain in the ass to get to, so. Um, I, uh, I, I haven't been to Denver in, uh, in, I think, 2010 we played in Denver. Oh, nice. Did we play in Boulder? No, maybe. maybe in, I think it was Denver. I, I I missed that one. I wasn't quite living in the city yet, so I all right mi- missed that one. Oops, sorry. Um, so it <laughs> I I've taken more than enough of your time. Thank you so much for sitting down and talking with me today. Um, is there anything else uh, you want to talk about before I let you go? No, that's that's. I think we covered everything. Yeah, buddy. Um, so last chance to dance is out now on Fat Records. Uh, Reconquista will be out again soon. Um, they can find you at cjramon.com. Uh, cjramon.com. That's it. And nice. um, uh, you can find me on Facebook too. 
Yeah, well, I, I do like that on Facebook. Like you write a lot of the people back who are writing you every day, and that's that's pretty incredible. I love that. It's I, it's realistically my Facebook page is more like a, a Ramones fan site. I, I I sit around and talk to Ramones fans on Facebook about the Ramones for for a good part of the day, much to my wife's chagrin. <laughs> Well, all right. Well, CJ, well, thanks, thanks for talking to me. Um, have a good trip, and uh, hopefully I'll talk to you again soon. All right, brother. Take care. Was I right or was I right, buddies? Like, what an incredible chat with uh, CJ there. I'm still just in awe of what this guy has done and what this guy has gone through. Um, I, I just can't find the words. I ramble. I talk too much, so let's not even try to find them. Uh, CJ, thanks for hanging out. Thanks for talking to me. I know you were a busy man that day. And um, this goes up the day after your Australian tour ends. Sorry, we couldn't help promote that. Um, But incredible talking to you, CJ. And I salute you for um, putting your family first throughout all these events and whatnot. And uh, I don't know if I could do the same. I'd like to think I could, but I don't know, man. Just I I just don't know. Um, let's switch gears. Let's talk. Let's talk about Marky Ramon real quick. Um, this this interview with Marky, it was scheduled for eight forty a.m. here in Denver. And as you guys know, I'm a night owl, um, and I was so nervous. I was trying so hard to prepare. I'd read most of the book, but not all of it. Um, I, I only got twenty minutes, so I had to have the best questions possible. I stayed up till four thirty in the morning preparing. Uh, for the interview and got up at seven o'clock in the morning um, to just to make sure everything was good to go. I was so tired. I could barely see straight. Luckily, I had my death wish coffee sitting there waiting for me and I powered through it. Um, I almost went back through and re-recorded the audio, my side of the audio in this because I tap I tap on the microphone a little too much. I, I fidget and I fumble around because I'm exhausted. I can barely see. I got like maybe, maybe if I'm lucky, I got an hour and a half worth of sleep out of that. Um, my voice sounds a little dry, so I, I just wanted to, you know, let you guys know that I, I was busting my ass trying to make sure this was as good as it could, and uh, I think we got a really cool, different side of Marky that they're not necessarily getting out of a lot of the other press junkets. Um, I did want to talk to him about his sobriety. It was funny that he brings it up on his own. Um, we talk about his beer company as well, and we get a, we get some really cool stuff out of Marky Ramon, which which uh, you never know what you're going to get when you're talking to somebody through one of these junket things. Um, so without any further ado, uh, let's let's listen to me um, uh, make an ass out of myself in front of Marky Ramon. All righty, guys, you're on with Marky. Thank you, thank you. Marky, how are you doing this morning? All right, good morning. How are you? Yeah, not too bad, not too bad. Um, it's early here in good. Denver, so my uh, voice is a little shot this morning, so please excuse me. That's uh, all right. I had uh, I had uh, in Las Vegas. I got that dry uh, voice where you can't talk because of the dryness of the sand and everything there. Yeah. So I I can relate. I understand. <laughs> um, so I, I was so excited about doing this interview and talking to you. Um, I was up late. Um, but I- anyway, I I had a. Uh, I had a lot of dreams about you. You were in my dreams last night, Marky, and uh, I, I was just, you know, yeah. I, I don't really remember what the dreams are about now. Of course, no, no, they were great. I think you wanted me to go on tour with you or something. Like seriously, it was it was bizarre. Okay, but I, but I was curious. Like they were very lucid dreams. But I was curious, what kind of dreams are you having while you're out here promoting this book? Ah, uh, that's a good question. Uh, well, 
uh, the loss of the other four Ramones, obviously, because of all the in-depth, in comprehensive stuff in the book. And uh, going back and, and you know, uh, discussing their personalities. That never leads you anyway, but uh, because uh, the book is out now and I'm doing all, all the interviews for it, uh, you, you start reminiscing about each individual, and that, that sticks with you when you sleep, you know? Yeah. Um, so this, the book is Punk Rock Blitzkrieg. Um, you know, you've, you've recorded dozens of albums. You, uh, made your own DVD with the Ramones raw DVD. You've got your own pasta sauce. Uh, you, you've done all these things. Is it a different experience to release a book out into the world versus, you know, an album or DVD? Yeah. It's all creative. You know, I, uh, I find my food company, the things I do are creative. Uh, the book was very creative uh, because I'm, I never wrote a book, but I felt it was the right time to uh, do it. I read all the other books, and I wanted it to be the most comprehensive and in-depth uh, look of the Ramones because you're a band member. So you're in the inner circle a lot more than um, you know the other uh, people involved with the Ramones. Right. So uh, that that was my intention, you know, 1,700 shows, 15 years with the group, nine studio albums, and I think four live albums, and like what you mentioned, uh, I think you mentioned it, the uh, DVDs. So uh, that was my intention, was to put it all on paper, you know. Nice. It, what, what I like about the book is that... Um you know, in your other interviews, you talk about the exaggerations, and in your book, it's very straightforward. There, there aren't a lot of frills about it. It's just, it's your story. Um, right you, in your face. Yeah, My right. Old man told me. You know, he told me when, uh, uh, you, you know, a while back when I was writing this book, he said that um, if you're going to write about the other uh, members' personalities, you better be twice as blunt about yourself. So there's no holds, nothing's uh, you know out of that book. I mean, my my whole uh, situation with the rehabs and all this stuff. I didn't have to put that in there, uh, but I did because I thought that if somebody had a drinking problem like I had, it, it might help them, give yeah. them the inspiration to seek help and and go down the right path uh, instead of waking up with a headache and follow your dreams instead. Yeah. And it's funny because I never smoked cigarettes or was into hard drugs. I just liked drinking with the guys, beer. And the next thing you know, I became a periodic drinker, and I started waking up with the headaches, and I had enough. Yeah. So, uh, you know, I realized uh, at a young age to, to just stop the nonsense, you know. Yeah, how old were you when you quit drinking? 29, 30. Nice. Um you know, yeah. it, and and that's that I think is one of the bigger. I mean, obviously, it's one of the bigger issues in your life, and uh, and in the book. And I like how throughout the book, it's slowly peppered in the uh, you know had a drink here with these guys, had a drink there, was drinking at this practice, and then slowly it evolves. You see where that's taking you. Um, you don't mind talking about your history with drinking at all? Like that's not a problem for you? No, no. I uh, I uh, I started drinking at a late age. I didn't drink when I, I started about 1920, uh, but I wasn't drinking that much. But then eventually, as time went on, you, you know, the other temptation opportunities were there in front of you yeah. backstage, people buying the drinks at CBG, 
and another club called Max's Kansas City, and it started getting more and more, and uh, I started liking it more. So, uh, you know, me and the guy, not the other Ramones, but me and, you know, the, the roadies and friends of mine, we would get together and have little beer parties, and then it would get the big beer parties, and then, uh, you know, I just uh, started liking it more, and then at one point, uh, I uh, I didn't like it anymore, and I was asked to leave the group to uh, get help, which I did, and uh, I did things outside the music business to stay sober, which was advised to do to do physical labor because I, I am a drummer. So I started doing uh, demolition work on uh, uh, buildings. I started doing construction work. Uh, I was a bike messenger. I uh, put up uh, wrought iron gates to stop uh, crack, crack houses because crack houses were big in, in Brooklyn, and, and we, we tried to stop them by... Uh, putting up uh, wrought iron gates with cellulene torches. So, and I mixed cement uh, in the summer in a wheelbarrow, three to one, and I knew that would help me out a lot, you know, physically. So then I was asked to join the band again after um, uh, Elvis Ramone, who was really Clem Burke from Blondie, tried to play the Ramones songs, but he's great in Blondie, but he's not a Ramones drummer, <laughs> and he only lasted two days, and... Uh, then they asked me back, and uh, the, the first thing was, we need your help. And I, I, I understood what they meant, and uh, I, I was grateful to do it for them, you know, just because I enjoy the music, and I, I did enjoy their company, and they were brothers and, you know, bandmates. And uh, when I got back in the group, things were still the same, you know. Yeah. And then how, how did it feel, um, you know, because I, I, I personally haven't gone through any uh, addiction and recovery like you have, but how does it feel to go and, like, basically kick this thing's ass and then rejoin, you know, this group and take it to even bigger and better heights? Well, you uh, <clears throat> you learn from your experiences. You, you start hanging around with the same people. The only difference is, see, I never got, I never drank before I played or recorded. But uh, the thing is that... Uh, you're different, they're not, but you have to just do the best you can do and, uh, you know, uh, live, live by, by the rules of uh, what I learned through going through the rehabs, yeah. and it made it easier, and confronting thousands of people had no effect. Yeah. I just did what I had to do, I did it before, and I just uh, realized that uh, doing the whole set the right way and... Uh, Having fun doing it was the most important thing. Nice, nice. Um, do you, you know, is this still a problem that uh, you deal with? Do you still get the urges or whatnot, or is that long, long in the... Oh, no, bottom? that the original temptation, that, that went out the window years ago. Uh, nice. Now it's just, uh, you know, just a great time playing these songs. I feel they're uh, too good not to be played, and I continue to tour the world doing them, you know? Nice. And then, of course, you have your own beer coming out, but how can you, I, I, beer I imagine. And, uh, my pasta sauce. And, yeah. Uh, yeah, the beer, uh, the beer was an import. Uh, it's, it's all over Europe, but they're going to start bringing it here and making it here. What I did was, and I was advised by a wine guy, he just swishes it in his mouth and spits it out. <laughs> so it took me a few different tastes, and then I got it. And uh, it's a dark brown ale, which is an import, but again, it will be here 
the major distribution. Uh, it's a different different kind of beer, though. It's it's just more drinkable. The the dark ale is good with like a dinner or or you know like a late lunch. But um, part of the proceeds goes to uh, Musicians Without Borders, which I'm very proud to be part of. Nice. How do you, how do you get involved in an organization like that? Well, you know, when I was a kid, you know, I needed help. But, uh, you know, I had to work very hard to uh, buy each part of my drum set. Uh, I used to, I was a delivery boy uh, for a uh, pharmacy, and I used to deliver drugs to people uh, when I when I went uh, home from junior high school. But uh, these days, uh, you know, uh, a lot of the, the schools have music classes, but a lot of it, uh, a lot of them got cut off. So if it could help a kid buy an instrument or if it could help somebody get a music lesson, more power to them, you know? Yeah, great, great, great. Um, so with this book, you do, you know, this is a big trip down memory lane for you. Like you tell your entire life story. What When you look back on those those uh, moments in your life, what is it like to revisit them? Do you learn new things about yourself from revisiting those old um, stories? Well, you realize that life is definitely an adventure. And no matter how much money you have or how famous you are, there's going to be times where you're going to, you know, uh, have, have the hard times. It doesn't matter who you are. The whole idea is to lift yourself up and get out of them. And uh, that's what I had to do through a lot of hard work. And looking back at all that stuff, when I finished reading the book, I realized that that's what it took. You know, uh, you know, uh, life throws curveballs, and the whole idea is to hit that center ball. You know what I mean? Right. And uh, that's what it took. You know, so it was like three balls coming at me, and I hit the center one. Like when Mickey Mantle would be at the plate, he would come. Uh, he would come uh, at the uh, at the game inebriated. He saw three balls coming at him. He hit the middle one. And he hit, he, hit, he would definitely hit a home run. And that's the story Phil Spector told me. <laughs> so I, you know, I can relate to that. You know. Nice, nice, nice. And then w- one thing I like, you know, again, you don't really pull any punches. It's no frills. Nope. Are there stories in this book that you were like, eh, I don't know if I should tell this one, and uh, left them out, or is it all in there, everything? It's all in there because uh, I read the other books. This one is the most comprehensive and valid book because of my uh, membership in the group. When you're in a band, it's different. You're amongst the nucleus. Uh, there are a lot of people who wrote Ramon's books, but this one is is the, uh, you know, one where, uh, you know, you're, you're in that bubble and you're able to write through your observations because you're that close. So I had to put all that in. And uh, I just felt that, uh, you know, uh, through my experiences that uh, it would make it definitely inter- interesting read. Nice, nice. And then with with the book, you've been touring. Um, you've been touring with a book, and then your own band, Punk Rock Blitzkrieg. Um, it's a little bit more hands on, I take it, than what you're used to. Uh, oh yeah, well, I have Andrew WK as my singer. It's a lot easier now. The um, the hotels are better. <laughs> uh, we get around better. We uh, with the Ramones, we always used to tour on our trusty 15 passenger Florida Connelly van with assigned seats. 
So we had our own road of sleeping if we ever needed to just doze off a little bit. But we would check into hotels, like, you know, Motel 8, 6s, yeah. just to uh, have our own space for a while, you know. In a van for five, six hours a day driving with the same people for 15 years, it could get a little, you know, brothers uh, argue, yeah. bandmates argue, but we were family. So, you know, there isn't one family that never had an argument, but we... Uh, we left that stuff off the stage, and we just tried always to play the best we could uh, for our audience, who, who were the greatest and are the greatest in the world. Nice. And then uh, you're also doing uh, signing tours and appearances, and of course you're meeting these oh, yeah. uh, you're, you're meeting these people like one on one, whereas you know before one you might. Yeah. Uh, what is it like to hear these people's stories of you and what you've and how oh, you touch them? They're great. You know, they, they they tell me what shows they were at and you know what they think about each album. Uh, what uh, you know, what's for the future? Uh, you know, they really love rock and roll high school. They uh, you know, they, it's just uh, great to have have some kind of a uh, few minutes with uh, with the fans who come by with the book signing. You know. Just to hear their love for for this music. Yeah, and, and does it put anything like your career in a different perspective to hear these people, um, you know, just telling you all these wonderful stories? I'm sure. Well, it's uh, it's something that uh, I I never expect in a million years uh, because I never thought that I'd be writing a book. Yeah. So you're that close. To, to your fans, and it's different than playing live uh, because you're you're one on one, which is great, you know. And uh, they're they're antidotes about what they saw and what they heard and how what they went through at the shows and how they got there, who they were with, and you know, it's just a lot of funny stuff, you know. Nice, nice. Um, well, I think we're we're getting close to being out of time. I'd like to wrap things up with you. Um, you know, I, I recently had a, a close friend pass away, and you've had several of them. And um, what is it like experience? I mean, I know it's it's an awful thing, but it, I, I find that my breakfast cereal tastes better the next day. Like I try to live a little bit harder for those people. Um, going forth for you, how do you uh, keep them in your memory each and every day? Well, four of them, four band members passed away. Tommy recently. And he's the one who got me in the band, basically, because he suggested it. Right. Uh, of course, it's horrible, traumatic. Uh, four brothers, they were my like, closer than family, passing away like that. Three to cancer and one to an overdose. Uh, so it's, uh, it's something I will always have in my mind, because there's always something that brings up the memories. But, you know, you got to think of the good things. And... Uh, Remember them as, as you know, your bandmates and family and having the respect and keeping the music alive because I felt they died uh, too young to enjoy the fruits of their labor. You know, we were we were very into working hard, you know, and I saw what we all went through. And, you know, then the next thing you know, they, they got cancer. So it really, uh, it really uh, that, that really, uh, you know, hurt, you know. Right. Um, how... Hey, do you regularly get yourself checked for cancer? I mean, three, three have, have yeah. roll, cancer, uh, you know, the whole deal, you know what I mean? Uh, because, 
not only that, but uh, I, I tour so many different countries that I want to make sure that my blood's good and that, uh, you know, everything's on the up and up, you know, sugar levels, because I play the drums for at least an hour and a half, two hours, uh, three times a week when I have off. So you got to be in good shape for that. You get, it's like uh, being an athlete, you know, you don't stop. It's, an hour, it's that long, and, it, and I consider it a splint. So I have to be in good shape uh, to be able to do that. Yeah. Um, it, and just uh, kind of to wrap it up, um, you know, you yourself, you're slowly getting up there in age. Are you afraid of death having witnessed so many others uh, pass away? I don't Is that think some of the scares? Uh, yeah. If it happens, it happens. Uh, but nice. the guy up there, so I don't uh, think about it. Uh, you know, I mean, if you. Stay in the right track. You think positive, and all that stuff. Uh, you know, those. You know, we we don't know why people get afflicted by diseases and stuff. But I think if you think positive and happy thoughts, that it might keep that away. You know, so I, I kind of uh, try to stick to that formula. Nice. And then, uh, of course, now with the book. Um, your legacy will live on. Why do you? Wh- what do you think strikes a chord in people still um, about the Ramones and the work that you've done throughout your life? Well, excuse me. What is that again? Uh, what is what is it about the Ramones that will stay around forever? What keeps this train um, running? I would I would think that well, first of all, the, the Ramones definitely appeal to youth, and it's definitely the lyrical content and the energy that the band projected. So. Uh, and a lot, of, a lot of young adults now don't are sick and tired of samples and tapes and fake stuff on recordings and live shows. So they go back and they see a band like the Ramones, how organic and, you know, from, from the ground it was, from the ground up, that we didn't use tricks. We didn't rely on all that stuff. What you saw is what you heard. And what you heard, you know, was the real deal, you know. So I think that that's what's happening a lot too, you know. Nice. Well, Marky, um, I think we're just about it out of time. I want to thank you so much for uh, sitting down and talking with me today. Um, anything else? Uh, anytime. Yeah. Anything else you want to plug uh, while we got the uh, moment? Yeah. Go go to markyramon.com and you see all the uh, the stuff on there about the book and about other things I'm doing. So that's pretty interesting. Nice. Uh, do you have any uh, Denver dates in mind for maybe uh, one of your many, many projects? Uh, well, uh, I have uh, Mark Ramon Facebook official. I, I, you can follow me on Twitter and Instagram. You know, all these technical things you know, that I didn't even know two, three years ago that I had to know and learn because of the business I'm in. But uh, I find it very interesting, you know, if it's used properly. Nice. Well, okay, Marky. Well, uh, I'll let you go, buddy. Thank you so much for talking to me. Ah, uh, yeah, anytime, and uh, have a good day. You too. Thank you so much, buddies. Can't believe it, Marky Ramone. If you would have told me I would have gotten the interview, with Marky Ramone, I would just would have laughed at you. And I, I think of all the stuff that I've gotten to do since I started Most of Harmless, and I'm just blown away. You know, I've interviewed Frank Turner, Chuck Reagan twice. I met Michael Rooker at Denver Comic Con, hosted a panel for him. Um, I met the director of the Sandlot. Uh, geez, I mean, I've, Andrew W.K., uh, Keith Morris. I'm just so, it sounds like I'm name dropping, but really I'm just like, I, I forget 
sometimes all the awesome things I've gotten to do since starting this. Um, so again, I know I said it at the beginning of the episode, but my sincerest encouragement, find your passion, get up off the couch, do it. Your life will be drastically better for it and you will be a better person. Um, this is a super long episode. I apologize for rambling on too long. Uh, if you've made it this far, kudos to you. Uh, but a super special thanks again to Ratio Beer Works for all the amazing beers and uh, sponsoring the show and our live podcast series. Thanks to Death Wish Coffee for all the juice that keeps me going. And a good special thanks to my buddy Nick DeFabio, a.k.a. Ghost Free Hood, on Instagram for the fantastic episode artwork. Uh, he listened to the interviews and came with art based upon my dream about interviewing Marky. Uh, even better, last night before you know, getting up to edit this all together, I had a dream about CJ and working on this interview. And then, like CJ, I think CJ yelled at me for I don't I don't really remember necessarily because you know I don't really remember my dreams. But now it's all full circle. <laughs> There's an image of uh, me dreaming about CJ and Marky, and I have done both those things. So visit Nick at uh, mysweetretch.com. He's got some incredible artwork up there. He sent me a really cool T-shirt that I've been wearing wearing uh, a lot lately. Uh, mysweetretch.com. The links are going to be over on Facebook is on my um, Most Harmless Podcast page as well. And then through my Most Harmless Podcast page, you can uh, like me on Facebook, subscribe on iTunes, Follow us on Stitcher or tune in, or uh, you can leave some hate mail or whatnot. I, it's it's all good, buddies. Uh, so without further ado, again, I'm still just so blown away. And I, I, I forgot to thank the most important person, you. Thank you for listening to the show. I couldn't do any of this without you, the listener. Um, thank you for supporting. I, I know I ramble and I'm ridiculous and... I was blown away, buddies. Just blown away. So we're going to end this with a Ramon song. One of my favorite Ramon songs. I actually hear this song all the time at Whole Foods Market at work when I'm working. And for forever, I will always associate this song with this interview and this conversation I had with you today, buddies. Uh, it's from one of my favorite all-time horror films. This is the Ramones and Pet Cemetery. See you in the funny pages, folks. Take care. Under the alcohol with the steamboats Ancient goblins and wild lords Come at the ground like making a sound The smell of death is all around And at night when the cold wind blows No one cares, nobody knows I don't want to be buried In a pet cemetery To the sacred place This ain't a dream I can't escape Molders and fangs The picking of bones Spirits moaning Among the tombstones And at night When the moon is bright Someone cries Something ain't right I don't wanna be buried In a pet cemetery I don't want to live my life again
emotions running away Skeleton dance, I curse this day And I'm not what no wolves cry Listen close, then you can hear me shout